Cheesecake, Blintzes, and Torah. What could be better? I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and we are celebrating Shavuot on this episode of Torah for Christians. Welcome to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr. Three times in the Torah, the Israelites are commanded to gather at a place that God determines to offer sacrifices and celebrate God's beneficence. These three pilgrimage festivals, as they came to be called, are Sukkot, our fall harvest holiday, Pesach, when we celebrate our liberation from Egyptian bondage, and Shavuot, which in the Torah is the festival when we are commanded to bring our, quote, first fruits to be offered before God. In time, the temple in Jerusalem came to be the place that God chose for the pilgrimage festivals. Jews from around Judea, and indeed from around the entire known world, would ascend to Jerusalem for these three festivals. After the destruction of the Second Temple in 70 CE, the sacrifices, of course, fell away, leaving Jews to celebrate these festivals in their home communities. For Sukkot, we still continue to dwell in a Sukkah, erected in our homes, wave the lulav and etrog in the sukkah, and in the sanctuary as well, and continue to thank God for a bountiful fall harvest. At Pesach, we of course remembered the Exodus by eating matzah for seven days and eventually celebrating a Seder in our homes, the Seder becoming the most observed ritual of the entire calendar year. But what about Shavuot? What was it and what happened to it? Just asking these questions shows how much Shavuot has fallen from the Jewish consciousness, and certainly from the larger world. Even though it is a Yom Tov, a day when no work is to be done, many Jews don't even know when it occurs. By the way, it falls on the 50th day after the second night of Passover, usually in late May or early June. In the Torah, we are commanded to mark off seven weeks of seven days after Pesach begins. Then, in the 50th day, is Atzeret, a stop. In other words, Atzeret was the end of the Pesach season. Think of it as Lent in reverse. Instead of a smaller holiday like Ash Wednesday leading to a major holiday, Easter, we have a major holiday, Pesach, leading to an equally important but smaller in scope holiday, Shavuot. Another name for Shavuot is Chag HaBikurim, the festival of the first fruits. During biblical times, and especially during the days of the Second Temple, Jews would ascend to Jerusalem bearing the seven fruits of Israel, wheat, barley, pomegranates, figs, dates, grapes, and honey. They would place these fruits in a basket to reenact the biblical commandment found in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 1 through 11. I'll give you the entire passage. When you enter the land that Adonai your God is giving you as a heritage, and you possess it and settle in it, you shall take some of every first fruit of the soil, which you harvest from the land that Adonai your God is giving you. Put it in a basket and go to the place where Adonai your God will choose to establish God's name. You shall go to the priest in charge at that time and say to him, I acknowledge this day before Adonai your God, that I have entered the land that Adonai swore to our fathers to assign us. The priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down in front of the altar of Adonai your God. 
You shall then recite as follows before Adonai your God. My father was a fugitive Aramean. He went down to Egypt with meager numbers and sojourned there, but there he became a great and very populous nation. The Egyptians dealt harshly with us and oppressed us. They imposed heavy labor upon us. We cried out to Adonai, the God of our ancestors, and Adonai heard our plea and saw our plight, our misery, and our oppression. Adonai freed us from Egypt by a mighty hand, by an outstretched arm and awesome power, and by signs and portents. God brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Wherefore, I now bring the first fruits of the soil which you, Adonai, have given me. You shall leave it before Adonai your God and bow low before Adonai your God. And you shall enjoy, together with the Levite and the stranger in the midst, all the bounty that Adonai your God has bestowed upon you and your household. So what would happen is that the priest would set the basket down in front of the altar and the Israelite would recite that famous formula, my father was a wandering Aramean. In a nutshell, it encapsulates Israelite history until that point. The descent into Egypt, the subsequent enslavement, the exodus, and settling in the land of Israel. In gratitude, the Israelites bring their first fruits before Adonai. Once consecrated, the supplicant shares his first fruits with the priests, Levites, and non-Jews amongst the people. If you think this is fanciful, there's a 3rd century CE mosaic of such a basket found on the floor of the synagogue in Sepphoris, a Roman city built in the center of what is now modern Israel. The basket contains the Shevaminim, the seven species of foodstuffs found in Israel, with birds hanging from the sides of the basket to be given to the priests for a sacrifice. My friend and classmate, Rabbi Judith Abrams of blessed memory, looked at the Jerusalem Talmud and discovered that this festival, now called Shavuot, named after the Hebrew word for weeks, was much more than a line of Israelites carrying baskets up to the temple. It was, to use another modern Catholic point of comparison, the Jewish Mardi Gras. During Shavuot, Jerusalem was awash in pilgrims. There was singing and dancing and even fireworks. In her reading of the Jerusalem Talmud, written in part by eyewitnesses who lived in Jerusalem before the temple was destroyed, Rabbi Abrams states that this was by far the biggest festival of the year in Jerusalem. So what happened to Shavuot? Without a temple, Jews could not bring their baskets to the altar, nor could they offer their birds as sacrifices. And just as important, they could not fulfill the biblical commandment to recite Aramio Vedavi, my father was a fugitive or wandering Aramean. Even though the sacrifices could no longer be offered, at least the formula could be recited. But how? The Babylonian rabbis, who rose to dominance after the destruction of the temple, moved the recitation of this Deuteronomy passage to the Passover Seder. It makes sense. These verses are perfectly appropriate for Passover. They tell the entire story in just a few lines. But there was a cost to this change. Now, there was no purpose to Shavuot other than the Torah said to observe it. The reason for the festival had disappeared. And so, Shavuot began its slow decline. But two things saved the festival in the early centuries of the Christian era. The first saving grace was the insertion of the Book of Ruth into the Shavuot liturgy, 
It made sense since at its essence, Shavuot is a harvest festival. And the central theme of Ruth is that she met and married Boaz at the time of the barley harvest. This popular fable proved attractive to Jews everywhere. And of course, since Ruth and Boaz are the ancestors of King David, this story takes on added importance. The second saving grace was the Torah portion assigned to Shavuot. Nobody knows exactly when this tradition began, but over time, the rabbis came to believe that God gave Moses the Torah, both oral and written, on Shavuot. The timing is right. It would have taken the Israelites about seven weeks to travel from the shores of the Sea of Reeds to Mount Sinai, wherever it was located. With this tradition in mind, we read the Exodus version of the Ten Commandments during the service. In the medieval era, this Midrash took a darker turn. The legend as it goes is that on the night before the giving of the Torah, when the Israelites should have been awake all night, waiting in anticipation of this awe-inspiring event, the men went to sleep. They almost missed the giving of the Torah the next morning. As an act of atonement, many Kabbalists, Jewish mystics, spent the entire night of Erev Shavuot from dusk to dawn in study. Today, Jews of all stripes have adopted this custom called Tikkun Leil Shavuot, literally a restoration of the night of Shavuot. We might not study all night long, but God offers a night of prayer and study on air of Shavuot. It has become quite a popular event, even to the point where I participate in a Zoom Tikkun Leil Shavuot. When I and dozens of other rabbis across the four North American time zones offer a plethora of classes that run through the night and into the next morning. The East Coast rabbis usually offer the early classes and then the teachers spread across the country as the night progresses. If you are interested in this Tikkun Leil Shavuot, please message me on Facebook and I'll send you the schedule. In a moment, we will look at one more way that Jews have tried to rescue Shavuot. And then we'll learn why cheesecake and blintzes are so important on this festival. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Welcome back to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr. Before we return to our discussion of Shavuot, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Please remember to review and rate this episode on Apple, Spotify, or whatever service you are using. Also, please go back and listen to previous episodes if you have not done so already. A transcript is also available on our Buzzsprout feed. And now, this and many previous episodes are available on our brand new YouTube channel. And if you would like to read my weekly Torah study, please go to Bible Stories They Never Taught You in Religious School, available for free on www.substack.com. I have also started another Substack page called Wednesday Torah, where I share random thoughts on the Jewish experience. Please subscribe to both. As I intimated a minute ago, there is one other way that Jews, especially Reformed Jews, tried to rescue Shavuot. This was through a ceremony called Confirmation. As the 20th century began, Reform rabbis in the United States began to do away with many traditional practices, including bar mitzvah. In its place, they created a group ceremony for both boys and girls, which they called confirmation, 
often held in the ninth or 10th grade, this ceremony was blatantly modeled on Catholic confirmation ceremonies of their time, often including a catechism written by rabbis for the teenagers to recite publicly. This confirmation ceremony, which became tremendously important in 20th century Reform Judaism, was held on Shavuot, pegged to the date when tradition said that Moses received the Torah. Often the kids would wear white robes, the Ten Commandments were read, and the kids often performed a scripted cantata to affirm their dedication to Judaism. Today, confirmation still exists, but frankly, it is a ceremony in search of a meaning, especially because nearly every Jewish boy and girl involved in synagogue life has a bar or bat mitzvah at age 13. So the main purpose of confirmation, a group affirmation of Judaism that was to replace bar mitzvah, is no more. Also, this ceremony has often been moved away from Erev Shavuot to allow for the Tikkun Lel Shavuot. The ceremony might be held, for example, on a Sunday morning in May before the end of the school year. Shavuot today stands on its own, with its emphasis on Ruth, the giving of the Torah, all night studying, and on cheesecake. Yes, cheesecake. Let's talk about this finally. Every Jewish holiday, like holidays of any faith, has specific foods attached to it. Challah for Shabbat, matzah for Pesach, apples and honey for Rosh Hashanah, and so on and so on. On Shavuot, we eat dairy foods, especially cheese blintzes, cheese crepes, they are, and New York-style cheesecake. Blintzes reflect the Ashkenazic origins of many North American Jews. These crepes are really Ukrainian or Polish in origin. Sephardic Jews may eat borekas, a potato or cheese-filled filo dough turnover. As for cheesecake, well, that's just too delicious to worry about its connection to the holiday. But why dairy at all? Every other Jewish holiday is meat-heavy, with the exception of Yom Kippur break the fast, which is usually dairy due to health concerns. There are dozens of explanations, but let's look at just three. The first possible reason is that God brought the Israelites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Honey is, if you recall, one of the seven species brought to the temple. Before modern refrigeration came around, most milk was made into cheese so that it would be preserved. Hence, we eat cheese products on Shavuot. Some Jewish communities also prepare desserts made with honey as well. That's a pretty good reason. Another reason given is that at Sinai, the Israelites were as pure as a newborn baby, whose nourishment was, of course, milk. The final reason is that after the revelation at Sinai, the Israelites learned that the meat they had prepared to eat after the giving of the Torah was not kosher, since it would take too long to slaughter and prepare meat according to the laws of kashrut that they had just learned the tired and hungry Israelites ate the readily available cheese, which also symbolized a certain humility upon receiving the Torah. There is, as you can tell, no one reason for eating dairy foods on Shavuot. Aside from the biblical commandment to eat matzah on Pesach, Jewish food customs developed over time and place. But on Shavuot, we get to celebrate with simple, organic foods. It's quite a welcome change for the meat-heavy meals the rest of the year. So the next time that you order a piece of cheesecake, think of Shavuot. And remember, on Shavuot, 
eating cheesecake is a mitzvah, one which many of us observe scrupulously. I want to thank you for listening to Torah for Christians. Please remember to rate and review this and previous episodes on Apple, Spotify, or other streaming services. You can also like us on Facebook, and now you can subscribe to the podcast on YouTube and read a transcript on Buzzsprout. On the next episode, we're going to take a closer look at the Book of Ruth. It's a beautiful pastoral tale, female-oriented, and one with deeper meanings regarding conversion, love, and messianism. It's a favorite story of mine. Please tune in. Finally, I've begun to publish a weekly Torah study called Bible Stories They Never Taught You in Religious School. It's available for free on www.substack.com. You can also sign up on Substack for the newsletter to appear every Friday in your inbox. You can also find my new column, Wednesday Torah, there, where I offer weekly musings about life, the universe, and everything. Have a wonderful week, and remember, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for us to dwell together as one. Till we meet again. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Mm-hmm.